Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 21. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. Today, I have chapter 20 of Outcast for you. Again, this chapter comes with some content warnings, and this time the warnings include scenes of torture, violence, and abusive behavior. Again, while not explicit in their descriptions, these scenes could be seen as disturbing, so listener discretion is strongly advised. So without further ado, let's get to Chapter 20 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 20 The whispers wouldn't leave me alone. My body cried out for rest, but my mind refused to shut down. In my mind, lurid visions of depraved violent acts played on an endless loop. No matter what I did or how I struggled to get comfortable and relax, the visions continued to play. Garish and horrifying as the visions were, they were also strangely, well, arousing. In my vision, I tracked down Daryl and his thugs. I'd left in the middle of the night to hunt them like prey. When I found them, they appeared healed and whole, but they screamed when they saw me. I attacked them savagely, tearing open bloody wounds and breaking bones. Their cries for mercy were music to my ears. I didn't kill them, however. Instead, I dragged them back to the dwelling and trussed them up like slabs of twaro meat. I stood behind them while Taki sat on a chair before them. She directed me where to cut and how deep. She pleasured herself while I bloodied each of these paklas before her. Each time they screamed, she convulsed with bliss. She was naked, and I could see everything she was doing to herself as I followed her orders and tortured these four would-be rapists. As the last one finally died, I stood naked before her, just as aroused as she. Their blood covered me, and Taki rose from her chair. She started fondling me while licking the blood off my chest and purring loudly. I kissed her roughly, tasting the blood on her tongue. She pulled me onto the blood-soaked floor and demanded that I take her like a beast. I did with all the ferocity of a wild animal, making her scream my name in ecstasy. Anytime I looked up, I saw those four staring at me with their blank, lifeless eyes. It only made me laugh as I drove harder into my cougar. My eyes flew open just as I envisioned climaxing inside her. My hand went to my chest. Despite its cybernetic enhancement, my heart was pounding furiously. I found it harder and harder to breathe as the vision repeated in my mind. My eyes were open, but I could still see their faces staring back at me with those lifeless eyes. If I reached out, I feared that I could touch them and feel their blood-soaked fur with my fingers. The bile rose no matter how much I tried to keep it down. The more I tried to block it out, the clearer the vision became, and the clearer the vision became, the sicker I felt. Finally, I couldn't hold it in any longer. I scrambled from the mats, 
half staggering, half running for the door. The patrons must have been laughing at me for my lack of any sense of grace. I burst through it and staggered maybe a dozen steps before I could hold back no longer. I dropped on all fours and let the convulsions overtake me. My pathetic yell became a pained gurgle as my stomach clenched, sending its remaining contents up through my throat and out. I shut my eyes, praying that each new wave of retching would be the last, but my body was determined to purge everything from me. Even after I had thrown up the last of my supper, my body kept going. Hot yellow bile dribbled out of my mouth and spattered onto the ground before me. It was getting harder to breathe. My body's need to purge itself overrode even the most basic functions. Whatever air I took in only fueled this need. It became a vicious, cruel cycle of breathing and vomiting. My head felt like it was trying to turn itself inside out. Each time my stomach clenched, my entire body felt like it was trying to implode, as though my guilt-ridden soul had collapsed into a singularity and was now trying to devour me from the inside. I tried desperately to regain some conscious control over my body. I tried holding my breath, but to no avail. I jabbed my right hand's claws into my left arm, hoping the pain would snap me out of it. It didn't help. No matter what I tried, my body continued to purge itself. I began to panic when the coppery taste of blood suddenly crossed my tongue. I wailed like a lost kitten in between heaving. When my arms finally gave out and I felt myself fall to the ground, I was convinced that was it. My body would continue to heave and convulse until it tore through every fiber of my being. I would die in agony this night. I remember hearing a sound as I hit the ground. It was a distinct sound, one I'd heard a few times before, and it always snapped me out of whatever state my mind was in. It was the sound of Tiki's scream. I realized I was on my back when I came to. When had that happened? I remembered falling to my side before blacking out, but now I was gazing up at the star-filled blackness of the night. Away from the polluting lights of the city or even the estate, the heavens opened themselves up to me, letting me peer deeper into the universe than I ever had before. It felt surreal, as though I wasn't merely staring at the stars, but floating amongst them. I wondered for a heartbeat if I'd indeed left my body. Had my guilt consumed me? Was I now a lost soul, condemned to wander the universe, forever searching for paradise but never finding it? Would that be so bad? I felt no pain, really. Just the sensation of my mind seemingly opening to the scene before me. I thought I heard the cosmos whisper my name, tempting me with an eternity of new sights and revelations. All I had to do was commit myself. Yes, just give that one final nod and I could leave this world behind. I could be free of everything and everyone. All I had to do was will it so. Just then, something fast moved across my vision. I should have recognized it, but I was still so dazed from everything, I never realized what it was until moments after it smacked me across the muzzle. The pain took a full three seconds to register, and when it did, my whole body flinched. Whatever it was, it hit me as hard, if not harder, than Cross's sparring hollows. With the new pain now searing through my cheek, 
my mind suddenly realized that it was indeed part of a body, and one that was in pain. My head was pounding from the strain it had gone through earlier, and my throat was raw from all the purging I'd done. My shoulders also ached like someone had been punching them, or perhaps grabbing and shaking them violently. My stomach was tender, and the person straddling me and currently slapping the hell out of me wasn't helping things much. My eyes finally focused, and I saw that it was Takiya taught me, ready to deliver another slap to my muzzle. Slowly, I lifted my arm not to block her, but just to show I was conscious. Thankfully, it worked. She lowered her hand and collapsed atop me, holding me tight. Thank the gods you're all right, she said, her voice beginning to crack. When I saw you fall, I was scared th that you died. My arm still hurt, but I managed a weak embrace with the woman I loved. I would have kissed her, but gods only knew how foul my breath was. I'm all right now, I said. Thanks to you. We lay like that for a few minutes before she helped me up and guided me towards the pool. Once there, I rinsed out my mouth with several mouthfuls of clean water, as well as splashed some on my muzzle to clean off anything there. I felt refreshed after that, but now that the sickness had passed, the exhaustion from such an ordeal was catching up to me. I think we should go back inside, I said. All right, said Tiki. Will you be able to sleep now? Think you got whatever it was out of your system? I nodded, though it was a lie. Physically, I felt better, but that vision was still there just behind my eyes, threatening to start playing out once again. It would be there when we lay back down, and it would be there in the morning. Unless I found a way to deal with this war in my head, it would consume me, leaving me little more than an empty echo of the person I used to be. Thankfully, once we slid under the covers once more and she snuggled up to me, the voices in my head quieted. They were still there, but they no longer dominated my thoughts. I focused on the love I felt for Teki, and it helped keep the demons at bay for the moment. I prayed that in the morning my first sight would be of her, before letting the exhaustion overtake me and sending me into a deep, mercifully dreamless sleep. My alarm woke me a few hours later, and when I went to turn it off, I also noticed a message was waiting for me. It was from Alistair, confirming that he'd received my message about being sick. I remember how I'd felt when I'd sent that message the night before, but given what had happened since, I was happy I'd done it. I would still have training later in the day, but staying home from work would give me time to rest and recover beforehand. I rolled back over and welcomed the still-sleeping Taki back into my arms. It always amazed me that the moment I was in bed, she would gravitate to me as if by instinct. I planted a gentle kiss on top of her head and sighed softly. My mind started replaying that vision from the night before again, but I was too tired to give it any thought. I closed my eyes and drifted off once more with my beloved cougar in my arms. Our time of bliss lasted a few more hours before our bodies finally demanded that we rise. Reluctantly, we disentangled ourselves and each found some minimal clothing to wear. Tiki prepared a modest breakfast while I straightened up our makeshift bed. The extra sleep had done wonders for my body. I still ached in several places, but it was manageable. 
The breakfast was mercifully easy on my ravaged throat, and my stomach didn't protest very much. I smiled in appreciation at Taki, but she still watched me with concern, no matter how many times I reassured her that I was feeling better. She would nod to acknowledge it, but her eyes told me a different story. She suspected something, and I knew that I would eventually have to tell her. I wasn't going to put it off like I had about my training. That had been torture enough. I didn't need that kind of anxiety again. Taki, I said after finishing my food. What happened this morning, with me being sick, it wasn't from the dinner last night. She looked at me, suddenly concerned and a bit angry based on the narrowed eyes and half-folded ears she had. I unloaded everything on her, from how I felt when I had Darrow at my mercy right up to the dream and what I saw. I looked away from her, feeling that I was no longer worthy of looking at her anymore. She said nothing in response. I looked back up, and the lack of expression on her face made a chill run up my spine. She looked the same way she did when I told my story about my exile. Of course, back then I wasn't looking for her approval or even her sympathy. Now, however, that look reminded me of how Mother looked when I accidentally broke the cookie jar. I see, she finally said, turning away from me. So, none of this had anything to do with me? No, of course not, I said. How could it? Oh, I don't know, she said sarcastically. I just thought that, well, the idea of betting a whore all this time finally caught up to you. I already told you that didn't matter to me, I said. And you expect me to believe that, she accused. I remember the looks I'd get from them, Dallin. I knew they only saw me as nothing more than a cocksleaf for them, no matter what they said or whispered in my ear. You think I don't know you're lying? Lying? The whispers grew in volume again. Only this time I welcomed them. She dared to call me a liar. She dared. So, am I lying now, hmm? If you can tell so easily, then call me on it, Tiki. Tell me I'm lying to you. Tell me now. I pushed the table out of the way, not really caring that it hit the far wall. I was tired of her constantly questioning my feelings. What did I have to do to prove I loved her? Who in the seven hells did I have to kill before she believed me? Did I have to hunt Darrow down like I had in my vision and bring him back here? Would I have to torture him for her pleasure and then take her on a blood-soaked floor to prove myself to her? She moved to escape her chair, but I was on her in a moment, forcing her to look at me. Call me on it, Teki. Tell me I'm lying to you. Tell me the fact that I nearly killed four people isn't tearing me up inside. Look into my eyes, Teki, I growled. Look and tell me I'm lying. Tell me. Tell me. I had hoped to see her eyes change from that defiant glare to something a bit softer, and perhaps more sympathetic. However, her eyes widened not in realization, but in abject fear. She began to shake, but despite the growing nausea at my own rage, I couldn't stop. Tell me, I growled again, barely aware that my voice had changed.
It had become deeper, more feral. It reminded me of Cross's voice on the day he made me the offer. It only made her struggle even more to be free of my grip. Dallin, please. You're hurting me. She tried to break free, but I held her fast. Her continued struggles only made me want to hold her more, to force her to see into my eyes. I wanted her to feel what I was feeling. Please, she pleaded. Your eyes. I can't. My eyes? I caught the hint of my reflection into Key's fear-filled gaze. It was my muzzle, my teeth, and my nose. But not my eyes. With such a vague reflection, I shouldn't have been able to see them. But what I saw made me take in a breath. My eyes were glowing. They were glowing red. When Krasa had burst into my dwelling that rainy morning, I remember the eerie green glow in his eyes. I knew that someday this would happen, but now? Like this? I should have been overjoyed having reached a milestone like this in my training. But instead, I just terrorized the woman I loved. Instantly, I let go of her and fell to the floor, scrambling back from her. I was shaking with surprise and fear at what I'd just seen. I had no right to feel the way I did, but I couldn't help it. I looked back up at her. Are, are they still... She shook her head, indicating that the red was gone. It did nothing to remove the fear I was feeling, and Taki's look hadn't changed either. I didn't blame her, though. If that vague reflection in her eyes had sent me reeling, what had it done to the one person on this planet I'd sworn to protect? Taki, I said softly. I'm sorry, I... I started moving in her direction, but my ears picked up a high-pitched keening coming from her, like she was stifling a scream. I stopped moving toward her and just sat there, still trying to process what had just happened. All the anger I had felt only moments before was gone, guilt fast replacing it. That guilt soon turned to frustration, though, as I tried desperately to think of something to say or do. An apology wouldn't be enough. Any move I made to console her would only further frighten her. There was nothing I could say or do to fix this. I'd messed up. There was no way Tiki would ever trust me again. Frustration turned back to anger. I turned my gaze away from her lest my eyes light up again and make an already bad situation worse. This couldn't be the end of us, could it? No. I wouldn't let it. I would fix this somehow. But how, though? I discarded every idea I thought up to fix this. They were either wrong or not enough. I was desperate, but how could I gain a claw hold in this hurricane of rising despair? How could I stop hurting those closest to me? Why was this happening? Krasa. He'd warned me about the beast within, hadn't he? Yes, he had, but then did nothing about it. He knew that at some point something like this would happen. Why didn't he say something? Over thousands of years, millions of Lautari had faced this, hadn't they? There had to be something in the teachings he'd either missed or kept from me. After his plea to me, the training hadn't changed at all. It was always punch harder, kick faster, 
find an opening and exploit it. He warned me about the beast, but gave me no guidance on how to tame it. Why? Why had he led me this far only for this to happen? The more I thought of it, the more other things started to make sense. Connections were forming amongst the fragments of my life, and that only served to fuel my anger. He'd been there almost from the start, hadn't he? He'd visited me in the hospital. He knew about the implants. He knew about my potential even before I did, didn't he? Had this all been him? Was he the puppeteer, pulling my strings to serve his own twisted ego? Was my exile all a part of his plan? I had to find out. I have to go. I rose and set about packing for my upcoming retreat. I gathered up my mat, several changes of clothes, and placed everything by the door. After, I put the table back to its original place. I risked a glance at Taki and saw she was tracking my every movement with that same fear-filled gaze. I only hope you can forgive me for this someday, Taki, I said, keeping my distance. I never meant to frighten you or hurt you. I mean that. I turned to leave. Where are you going? The tone in her voice brought tears to my eyes. I looked back to see her standing now. She was warring with herself, I could see. Part of her wanted to run toward me, but another part was still frightened of the monster that I'd revealed only a few minutes before. I need to find answers, I replied. Something's happening to me and I have to find out what. Cross a nose, and I'm not coming back here until he's told me everything. I understand if you don't believe me, Taki. If you want to leave, I won't stop you. After what I said and did, I don't deserve someone as wonderful as you. I love you, Taki. I always will. She said nothing. Our eyes met for several minutes, but neither of us spoke a word. Finally, I could take it no longer. I turned away and gathered my things. Before I opened the door, I took one last look at her. I stared right back into those wide, amber eyes and mouthed two words before turning to leave. Forgive me. Stop. I was breathing heavily. My muscles burned, but I didn't care. I would pay for this exertion in the morning, but I didn't care. I could taste blood from the numerous blows I'd taken, but I did not care. The pain, the frustration, all of it only fed my rage. I wanted more. I wanted, oh, so much more. The jaguar before me froze just as he was about to strike. I'd been fighting this artificial pakla for the better part of half an hour. He'd landed more than a few solid blows, more than he should have given my experience. But I'd given as good as I'd gotten. His left arm hung loosely by his side. My last blow had dislocated his shoulder. His jaw also sat at an awkward angle. Had Krasa not stopped me, my next blow would have destroyed his right knee. This exercise is over, he said. You are done for the day. The hologram faded from view, and only then did I relax. Now, are you going to tell me what is wrong? Or do we part ways now?
I looked over at him. Gods. That damned neutral expression on his face. So calm. So smug. Granted, with a word he could end my training. But not before I got my explanation. No more politeness. How long have you been watching me? I asked. Watching? We met in the hospital, I said. You helped me master my panic and frustration over my condition. Tell me, was it then that you decided to interfere with my life? Interfere? Damn you and your one-word answers, I growled. How easy was it for you to manipulate everyone? How many credits was my life worth to my father? What are you talking? How long did you think it would take, hmm? The anger was swelling once more. What? Did you think I'd just accept it after a time? Maybe have enough respect for you to forgive you for betraying me? Did you think me that stupid? Betrayed? It was the first time I'd ever heard confusion in his voice. I've done nothing to— Liar! I roared. I leapt at him, fangs and claws bared. I'll kill you for what you've done to me! His seated form easily dodged my attack. I hit the floor hands first and tucked into a roll that brought me to my feet. I spun and charged at him again. Had I not been so bent on killing him, I would have been in awe at his agility. He didn't have to block any of my attacks because he was avoiding them with a speed and dexterity that seemed supernatural. Every oath I could think of, and even a few I'd made up on the spot I hurled at him, trying anything to get under his skin. Through it all, his face never lost its composure. This only drove me and made me want to hurt him even more. All I wanted was to wipe that neutral expression off his face or get anything other than that damned emotionless voice. I'd get a rise out of him if I had to claw off his manhood just to see if he could scream. I should have known he was toying with me. He was letting me burn through all my rage before making any kind of move. He let me vent my frustrations for another ten minutes before, with one move, he had me on my stomach with my right arm seized. No matter how I moved or tried to break free, I would have ended up breaking my arm in the process. You will calm yourself now, or I will break your arm, he said. Again, his words showed no emotion. Yet to accent the point about my arm, he gave it a twist. I yowled in pain and slammed my free fist onto the floor. I will ask you again, he said. What has happened to you, Dallin? Where is all this coming from? You've taken everything from me, I wailed through the pain. Why? What did I do to deserve this? Calm yourself, Dallin, he said, his voice beginning to grow in volume. What is this really about? It's about this! I screamed, turning my head back to him as far as I could. Like it had with Tiki, my voice changed once more, and I was sure my eyes had regained that hellish red glow. His grip on my arm loosened, and I would have seized the opportunity were I not both physically and mentally exhausted. I was done. I'd had enough. I just wanted it all to end. I turned my face away from him after several moments and felt him let go of my arm completely. I merely let it fall to the floor. It wasn't until he shifted to kneel beside me and placed his hand on my shoulder that the tears came. 
I wailed like a lost kitten, my body and mind reduced to little more than a quivering shadow of its former self. Rest now, he said, and I thought I heard the faintest twinge of sorrow in his voice. Be at peace, young one. Be at peace. How long had I slept? I didn't know, but when I awoke I felt refreshed. My mind was finally clear once more, which made me feel utterly foolish. All those connections I'd made earlier now made no sense anymore. I was so certain that he'd been behind my exile. How could I have been so sure that something so wrong was so right? Krasa helped me to my feet, and I walked-slash-staggered over to a place he'd prepared. There were two mats arranged opposite each other with a small open brazier between them. What was burning in the bowl smelled like incense. It wasn't a scent with which I was familiar, but it wasn't unpleasant. He knelt on one mat and bid me to do the same on the other. Once I did, he asked me again what caused all this. And for the next hour, I explained myself. I started with the confrontation in the alley and recounted everything up to my leaving Teki alone. I also explained to him how I arrived at the conclusion that he was the one behind my exile. At this, he nodded in understanding. The beast often makes us see things that are not there, he explained. It looks for any excuse to be unleashed, and will even weave a convincing tapestry together out of fragments and speculation. Under the influence of one's rage, the tapestry appears crystal clear and perfectly logical. What about my eyes? I asked, keeping my own voice calm. How did I make them change? And why red? I remember that yours are green, yes, he interrupted. There is no link between lineage and color. My master was a lion, and his eyes also glowed green. He told me his master's eyes glowed pink, and he had been a lynx. I nodded. In truth, though, you should not have been able to perform such a feat for another year or two. He went silent for a few minutes before taking a deep breath. I did not cause your exile, Dallin. But I am guilty of mishandling your training. What do you mean? A minute spike of that original anger rose once more. You are correct when you accused me of knowing about your condition, he explained. I knew that your arms and legs had undergone the enhancement and I suspected what the result of that would be. It wasn't until you destroyed that table in a fit of panic that I confirmed those suspicions. This was why I told you that yours would be the legacy of legend. He paused to let me absorb what he just said. I have trained many Lautari, Dallin. Yet, in all my years, I have never had a pupil with your raw strength. With focus... That strength could be honed to an edge not seen in aeons. He bowed his head. This was the first time his voice had ever wavered. Was that shame I heard? I admit that I was selfish. I was impatient to see that raw power honed into that edge. I pushed you too quickly. Too quickly? Every night you face ten opponents. Yes, but I only ever win against two or three. True, he added some more incense to the brazier. But would it surprise you to learn that those opponents are ones you should not be facing for at least another two years? I... 
Was I flattered or confused? Thinking back, I'm sure I was the latter. Your strength and determination were an inspiration to me, he said. But my desire to see that power fully unleashed caused me to disregard the very warning I gave you. I warned you about the beast so you know what could happen. And that was all you did? Yes, that was all I did, and your attack tonight was the result. He sighed. There is a regimen we as teachers are to follow, and in that I have failed you. He looked back up at me. I am sorry for what I have put you and your mate through, just because of my own selfishness. I have unbalanced the three within you. The three? Mind, body, and soul, he said. The triumvirate of the self. You may not know the three by name, but you understand it. Before your exile, your clan trained you, yes? I nodded. It was not always practicing forms and fighting, was it? I shook my head. Whomever trained you knew there had to be a balance between your mind and your body so the spirit would remain balanced. I have neglected the mental aspect of your training in favor of the physical. And as a result, you are manifesting aspects of a Lautari far ahead of when you were supposed to. Is that why... The eyes? I asked. And the voice, he finished. Those are the two warnings of the Lautari. Warnings that would normally keep you from having to do what you did in that alley. I wish they'd manifested last night, I muttered. I shivered despite the warmth of the place. I thought of Darrow, his bloody muzzle looking up at me, silently pleading for his life. Sadly, Krasa said, some like this Darrow fellow in his ilk choose to ignore the warnings of the eye and voice. Their ignorance is oftentimes costly. I see, I said, my voice sounding hollow. So what now? Is this it? Is it too late for me? Krasa shook his head. No. It is not too late. The training will change focus for a time until your mind is better centered. He then smirked. You may find this new direction a bit boring by comparison, but it should give your bruises proper time to heal. I couldn't hold back a chuckle at that. There will be no retreat this weekend, Dallin, he announced as we rose. For now, return to your mate and explain what has happened. You have some grasp of meditation and centering yourself, and I encourage you to work on that until next we meet. It will help keep the beast at bay. I understand, I said. I just hope she's still there when I return. She will be, Krasa assured me. As much as you need her strength, she needs yours, especially now. Heal your home, Dallin. Nurture the fire. Rebuild that which has been broken. I... I will, I stammered. We bowed to each other before I grabbed my things and headed for the door. I knew the conversation I was about to have with Tekib would be hard, but it would be necessary. She deserved to know what had happened to me, and whatever she chose after that, at least she would do so knowing everything. I at least owed her that. And that's our story. 
I stated at the beginning of this podcast that I wanted to re-record Outcast on a consistent audio platform, but as I'm learning, you can have the same mic and software to record, but the end result can vary drastically. Just listening back on a lot of these episodes, I can hear a lot of differences as I've tried to balance creation with keeping to a schedule of release. I think I'm learning from week to week, though. I've recently moved several acoustic panels from the wall my computer's facing to the ceiling in the hopes of helping with some of the echoes I'm hearing when I get too loud. I know now that if I'm to release this as a finished audiobook, it will involve yet another recording session of each chapter, but instead of going week to week, it will be several chapters a day to ensure that consistency. I feel bad that this podcast has been a bit of a proving ground as I continue this journey, but if you've stuck with it so far, know that you have my thanks, and I hope you'll stick with me as I work through this. So I think I'll end it here for now. As always, thank you for tuning in, and if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or leave an audio feedback via the SpeakPipe app at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.